So men are stuck in this rat race and this cycle. And then really, my, my best mate who I facilitate retreats with, he says, you know, there's really only three socially acceptable ways for men to express their emotions. It's like hungry, angry, horny. It doesn't really cut it. In the modern world, it doesn't actually cut it for us to express like what's going on inside. So it's frustration, it boils up. It's like, I'm feeling these things, but I don't have the actual literature to express it. And if I can't really identify and express it, how am I ever going to meet the need that's not being met underneath that emotion? The self-help industry is estimated to grow to $13.2 billion by 2022. And whether you back it, believe in it, or desire a piece of it, with a year of isolation and deep contemplation under our belts due to COVID, that number is only going one way, up. Included in that is the recent rise in men's groups, safe spaces where men learn to connect with other men and with their own emotions. This is important work because there are deeply embedded traditional gender roles and societal expectations that can have men feeling ashamed, like there's a stigma attached to the idea of a man admitting he's not perfect and reaching out for a little help. Ryan Bearclough was an elite athlete for 10 years in a macho goal-oriented world. There was little room for feelings or emotions, just training and winning. And after a series of impactful experiences that took him from struggling to manage the deep feelings of grief of losing his best friend to a sexual experience that opened his mind to a life he had no idea was available to him, Ryan understood the life he had and who he was wasn't perfect and something needed to change. He made a gut instinct decision one day and left the world of rowing to pursue a deeper purpose, to help remodel masculinity. He is now a leading mind in modern masculinity, a tantric yoga teacher, and the founder of the Self-Initiation Academy for Men. In this episode, we discuss sex, intimacy, and emotions. And you'll hear that he has a love for discussing taboo topics, challenging social norms, and candidly sharing what makes a man a real man. And I guarantee you, it's not what you're expecting. I'm Zoe Weldon, and straight from Byron Bay, Australia, and one of the oldest souls and one of my dearest friends. Here's Ryan on Didn't See That Coming. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Zoe, my friend. Thank you. Very excited to be here. I'm like proud and stoked that you're doing this. Let me start off saying that I feel like what you're doing and the conversation that we're about to have around sex and intimacy is so important because they're really topics that are taboo and they're not openly shared or really talked about. And saying that, I want to be 100% honest and share that I notice that I'm feeling a bit nervous right now. I feel really shy to ask you some of the questions that I want to ask, even though, you know, sex and intimacy is a part and a beautiful part of being a human. I'm feeling a little bit nervous. So I just wanted to put that out there so the listeners know that I'm not in my comfort zone right now. But I do know that the work that you're doing with men and with yourself is really important for people to hear about because it's challenging the status quo. Mm, thank you. Well, thanks for your honesty and, and that truth. And it's like, man, me too. It's like, I never feel completely comfortable in this. I think it's more my love for one taboo topics and riding that edge of of like, this shouldn't be said, so let's say it. That's my love. But the actual, like, being in this position, I'm like, whoa, who am I to, to say this or have this opinion or whatever it is? So I'm, I'm there with you. Let's, yeah, don't be shy. Let's do it together. <laughs> okay, all right. I love that. As we go through this discussion and this conversation that we have, I really find that 
there is a lot of spiritual jargon, which I can get a bit lost in. And some of the listeners might find this as well. So I really want to understand this information and I want to grasp it. So I'd love to ask if you can explain these concepts in simple terms. Is that okay? A hundred percent do my best. It's not the it's not the hippies that need that need the help or doing the work. It's like, yeah, let's break it down. I like it keeping it simple too. So we'll start off simple then, or maybe not so simple, we'll find out. So the first question, Ryan, is how would you define being a man? Oh, no, that's not simple. (laughs) How would I I define being a man? Uh, In the simplest terms, for me, it would be being the most Ryan Ryan of all Ryan time in the face of all the world throws at me, in the face of all the circumstances, all the situations, all the people and all the places showing up as exactly me. That is for me being the the ultimate man, the most man I can be. So let me get my head around that because if someone is listening to that and thinking like, okay, well, am I a man or what's the definition of a man? How does somebody grasp that in relationship to themselves? Uh, I think I guess what, I, what I'd be hitting on there is we're going beyond man and woman would be human. And I think in this like hypersaturated, politically correct world, it's like, yeah, it's like we've lost any sense of biology just doesn't define a man anymore. Uh, it's, it's, it's one good yardstick we can use if you've got a dick, you're a man. Uh, but that's not the case for a lot of people and that's not how a lot of people feel. So, uh, and there's a fantastic um, like saying that I use, if someone says they're offended, I don't get to decide whether that's true or not. So. If someone says they're a man, I equally don't get to decide whether that's true or not. Like how to, if they identify as a man, it's beautiful for me. It's I, I'm my most man. I'm in my essence, and we could. There's a difference between man and woman, and then masculine and feminine, and the essence is there. Uh, and the pop culture of personal development is really trying to categorize them. And I don't think these things are categorizable. There's no definition for being a man, and it's not a static being. It's not a single place that I arrive at and that's, well, now I'm a man. Hey, oh, I'm here. Uh, This is a constant evolution. It's a constant cycle. Hopefully for me, it's a spiral that I feel is in a useful direction, but useful is only dependent on what I want. So for me, what I want is to feel like I'm like electrically alive, fully empowered, authentic, and inspiring the shit out of myself every morning. And that feels like being a man to me. I love that. So you have shared that men on average have 20 words or less in their emotional vocabulary. Yeah. Like that's a big number. That really hit me. But I didn't understand why. Like is 20 too much, too little? Why is that a big deal? So that, and that comes from Brene Brown. Those stats come from Brene Brown. And that's not to say I'm a fan of Brene Brown. However, those stats come from there. Uh, So why is it a big deal? It's claustrophobic to be a man right now. And at times, it's like claustrophobic to be a man in the modern world right now. There's so much demanded of us in so many directions that men are being pulled extremely thin. So be emotional, but but, but not if it's anger. If you've got anger to express, well, keep that shit to yourself, man. That's abuse. You know, you need to be sensitive, but not that sensitive. I still want want a man. Like, I want a man that fucks me, not like a wet towel, you know? So there's this like constant like, fuck, who am I? Uh, Or even look at the dynamics of, a man is someone who is purpose and driven. When was any man given the chance to figure out what he feels purposeful about or what, what his meaning is and what his drive is? So men are stuck in this rat race and this cycle. And then really, my, my best mate who I facilitate retreats with, he says, you know, there's really only three socially acceptable ways for men to express their emotions. It's like hungry, angry, horny. It doesn't really cut it. 
in the modern world, it doesn't actually cut it for us to express like what's going on inside. So it's frustration. It boils up. It's like, I'm feeling these things, but I don't have the actual literature to express it. And if I can't really identify and express it, how am I ever going to meet the need that's not being met underneath that emotion? The emotion is just the symptom of, of something much deeper. And if I can't even communicate with this emotion, how can I tap into what's underneath to really have my need met? to really say, ah, this is my need. And especially if it's not socially acceptable, it's not socially condoned, and there's a lot of pressures pulling me in all different directions. It's a really claustrophobic, sticky place for a lot of men to be in. What are the the hardest emotions for men to express? Uh, The hardest emotions for me to express are anger, definitely, anger and rage. Yeah, anger and rage, you know, that's one that I've I've been working on and it's just finally come through. And, and, it, and when I say that, I can, I can be angry and I can be aggressive and I can be violent in a sport. But to really tap in and sit with anger and, and grief and let it burn away all the limiting beliefs I have and actually be in that, in the place that I don't want to be angry, to be angry in the face of the one person or the one environment or the one space where I don't want to show my anger, that's what I mean by expressing an emotion. I'd say um, grief and sadness for me in really being willing to, for things to not be okay, for me to be wrong, for me to not know, for me to need help. And the grief and sadness with comes of that, for me, I have this immense pressure to be superhuman when I didn't, I didn't go to like X-Men school or Hogwarts, but I still feel this pressure. And then I guess the third one for me would actually be joy, like full expression of joy is to be like big and loud and like fully like joy in that joy. It's like, hey man, shrink down a bit. Hey, like, hey, that's too much. Hey, shrink down. So I'd say it's the, it's the ends of the spectrum of emotion. And I think emotion just has many faces. So we give them different titles, but really it's expression. Yeah, right. Kind of almost being, as you're saying, like, you know, you're being at the very ends instead of the request of men to be in the middle of that and to, you know, to be stoic and in the center. And so what it sounds like you're saying is that is allowing yourself to be the fullest, biggest expression of all of those emotions within yourself. I think I like the word the fullest there, not so much the biggest, because the deepest, like the fullest expression of that could be complete silence, could be complete sullenness, it could be complete presence. And that could be my deepest expression. I think uh, emotions get mixed up with, ah, and I'm like, well, maybe it moves differently for people. And so I'm super like, careful to not box how it should be and not box. Like, I, don't, I try not to shoot on myself, try not to shoot on other people. Like, that's a real catch in this. And, that's what we're, and we see this a lot. I, I see this a lot with the toxic masculine, the toxic feminine, the, the dark masculine, the dark feminine, or the light. I'm like, whoa, like the more we categorize this, the more we ostracize people from connecting with their, with their true relationship with those elements within them, which we all have. And that kind of goes back to what, we were, what I was saying at the very beginning too about keeping things simple so that it's like it's accessible and, it's, and I feel that those terms can pull us away from it because I know for me, I feel that I pull away when I see those words. It's not something that draws me in at all. Totally. It's interesting that you were talking about those big emotions and I think to add context and to allow us to understand a little bit about where you've come from is really to go back to when I met you and probably before that truly, like not that that's the stake (laughs) in the sand, but when I met you, you were a high performance elite athlete and a movement coach and you were in sports for 
10 plus years, and then you left it, this world which really defined you, you must have had a moment or a pivotal event that impacted you to, to make such a change. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a few pivotal moments. I'll keep it short and simple. The first was my friend killing himself, who I looked up to a lot and I really identified with, and he was almost a torchbearer for me in the like, it'll be okay even though this doesn't feel right, it'll be okay. And he killed himself. And the emotional overload from that experience was sport for me was when I was young, a way to express my emotions and express the frustration I had from, from our family dynamic and how that played out and not feeling safe and not feeling looked after or cared about. And the, and it was my other, the flip side of that was to be pleasing. It was how I felt I got my love and I got my attention. And then sport later became uh, I had a realization again that I ignored and it became the way I suppressed my emotions. So I just trained myself into exhaustion every day and every year. I had to do that more and more because the emotions keep coming up and I just kept training to suppress and suppress. And then my mate killed himself and the emotions from that, I couldn't outrun them. I couldn't outtrain them. I couldn't, no, no amount of hours in the day could allow me to avoid those, those emotions. So that was a really big tsunami of, of feeling. May I ask you how, how old you were at that time? I was 25 or 26. There was another moment when someone said, uh, you're Ryan the rower. Ryan the rower? Oh, whoa, whoa, no, 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 I'm just Ryan. I was identified. I was like, whoa, hang on a minute. My identity is this thing that I can do, this thing I do. It's not me. It's not who I am. So that was another, that one, it's, it was so insignificant and it left such a mark. It left like such a mark. I was like, whoa, fuck that. I don't want to be that. Like, I just want to be me. Obviously, you were a rower for a long time. Was that the first time that someone had actually said to you, you're Ryan the rower? Or was it just this one moment that it really hit you and you thought, oh, I, I don't like that? Yeah, I think it just, it was just the right words at the right time for me to have a realization. I've been rowing for 13 years. The first six or the first five were great, but I wanted to quit after five. And uh, I stayed in it because it was the right thing to do. I was getting scholarships. It would look good on my resume. You can go to university. You can go here and there. So I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I, should, I, I, I think that's a good idea. Everyone else is saying it's a good idea, even though it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. I just did it because I, I thought it was a good idea and I could convince myself of that and then train away from the emotions of it feeling not right. And those emotions that you were training away from, was that, it sounds like that was something that was in your family home, within yourself, within society. Was it just the, what it was like to be a male at that time was kind of suppressing all of those emotions or was it just a situation that you were in? I'd say when, by looking at the current state of society, that it's something that a lot of men experience in different stories, in different ways. And I think it's a, a thread of myth that's playing out within the world for the collective of men. And in my case, it played out through my parents getting divorced, that being handled really poorly, uh, me learning to be a people pleaser through that, to feel safe in those environments, sport being the place where I learned to do that. So constantly selling out who I really was and doing what I think is a good idea to keep everything in this environment balanced because that makes me feel safe. But, and, and in saying that, that's a mix of my karma. So what I believe, like the lessons I'm here to learn, mixed in with, you know, the, the gazillion of parents I could have chosen and the ones I got and how they decided to play their lessons out. So it's not like by no means um, 
is it their, them or their fault? It's like, hey, we created this so I had the best opportunity to learn the lessons that I needed to learn to be of greater service to, the, to, the, to humanity. Like that's a strong testament to where you're at now because I'm imagining that during that time, obviously that's not what you're thinking, that this is playing out because of that. Like this shows the work that you've done since that time to be in a place to recognize that, you know, there's lessons within that. You're learning something, that there's a gift in this. So it's that's a real testament to the growth that you've had since leaving, I would assume, since leaving rowing. Yeah, thank you. And in saying that with the personal development work, it's like, yes, I'm you know, when I'm in my seat of sovereignty or self-governance or control or, you know, my, my most Ryan self, I can see that in the lessons. But it was only two months ago that I was, you know, in the therapy room with my dad being like, you motherfucker, like, fuck you, you abandoned me. I know this isn't fucking true, but fuck you, it feels true. And I've never told you this. And like, I was bawling my eyes out, shaking, like, where the fuck were you? Like, where were you? Like, yeah, I can see that it's a lesson. And also, I think, um, acknowledging the human experience in in having that, in learning that lesson is super important for me at the moment. That's pretty impressive to be in a position like that with your dad too. Like kudos to him, and but kudos to you both to enter into a room like that because, you know, as you said, that you were in a space before of really suppressing your feelings and pushing them down. So, and what you started with when I was asking you about being you know, what a real man was and, and not being the fullest expression of you to be in that space that it sounds like it's very vulnerable to be your most vulnerable, to be your fullest expression and to share that with your father. Very impressive. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, confronting. <laughs> well, the third one, I have to tell you this because you are going to love this. The third one was a threesome. That was Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so th- this is the third thing. So I've got to re re go back because now my brain's gone. So the third thing that for you was a pivotal moment was a threesome. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? I think it had been sold to me as like the pinnacle of being a man in my head. You know, I had so much trauma and pressure wrapped up with, with sexual performance, with self-love, with intimacy, with all, with anything to do with sex. And I think, yeah, in my head, it was like, after this, I should wake up a fucking demigod. And I just woke up super hungover and fragile. I was like, oh, what? Like, where's my extra muscle and like superpowers? What the fuck is going on here? No, like, I had sex with two women. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and yeah, it was just, it didn't happen. And I just felt even more deathly human with a hangover and was about to go sit at the fucking, my family birthday lunch with my brother who totally knew what had gone on and this girl that I'm like, oh, God. Also, like, it was fucking fun. Like, it was so much fun. It was this side of life that I'd shied away from, like, this wildness in me that I kept under wraps through training. And it was so easy to say no to life because I had to train. So easy to say no to getting loose and letting that wildness out in me because I had this spark of, like, crazy. And then this, and this dating this, this, this incredibly crazy somewhat un- depends who you ask a uh, woman and you know she gets me a threesome for my birthday and then it was just like so fun like I was like that was fun so there was a double-edged sword to it like whoa there's this whole life out here like hell shit no one told me about this and then I'm rowing like 20k's two days later and I can't stop laughing like I just can't stop laughing and uh, my coach was like what's wrong I was like man like I had a threesome on the weekend and it was fucking amazing but like now this just feels so silly to just be doing this one repetitive little movement. 
he went away, my coach went away. And then two days later, I uh, was rowing by myself. And I think it was like 16 Ks, four Ks from home. And it was like voice of reason, clear as day, just came in and goes, do you really want to channel all your potential into this one tiny thing? And the, and, and like my soul was just like, no. And it was so clear. And I was like, huh. So I rode home light, put my boat away and never took it out again. That is an incredible experience. And the result from that as well, too, is, is to, for you to listen so strongly and then walk away from rowing at that point. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild, man. Probably the, you know, the best I was, I was, I was going the best I'd ever gone. And I was just like, it was just done. I just knew. Those moments have been rare for me, but that was one. I was like, the moments where, no, sorry, those moments aren't rare, but the times that I listen, that's rare. And I don't know, it was like, no, done. So that somewhat helps me understand because your next step was that you, when you left rowing, as I know, is that you dove into the world of tantric yoga. If you could, in 30 seconds or less, can you give us the Coles notes on what Tantra is? Oof. Okay, well, Tantra has actually has, has nothing really to do with sex. Tantra is finding the divinity in every moment of every day. Tantra is weaving our divine spark with the experience that we're having right now. So finding, treating everything as sacred. This is sacred. This is sacred. Everything in my environment is sacred. And can I meet it with that reverence? I'm just, I'm really absorbing that because it's so beautiful to hear your experience of being like rowing and hearing this like very strong call to being present from what it sounds like, you know, to be really present in this moment and really deciding and choosing what it is that you want to do with your life and then moving into something that is about finding the spark of joy in everything that you're doing. It's a a beautiful transition. Yeah, it's funny, you reflecting to me, I'm like, oh yeah, didn't even put those two together. What I'd love to just pivot to, because looking at your Instagram account and looking at your videos, you do great videos where you're doing a lot of communicating so that your information becomes very accessible to anyone who wants to find out more about this. And what I found interesting was that your two most watched videos are number one, is Wim Hof breathing actually useful? And two, why men ejaculate quickly and how I'm learning to last longer in bed. So really sex and breathing, and they hit the most interested topics. How did you, do you have my login? How did you find that data out? I can't even find that. I'm a social media girl. I know these things. So let's start with the first one because Wim Hof breathing and breathwork in general is very hot right now. And I feel like I don't often hear the term breathwork. I hear much more Wim Hof breathing. And when something is popular, a lot of people will jump on that trend and they'll really turn it into a lucrative offering. You, on the other hand, haven't. And your video about Wim Hof breathing has a very different take on things with, from what I when I listened to it, was the main point being that while we're stressed, as many of us are right now, that adding more stress to the body isn't what it needs. So what do our bodies need and why isn't it Wim Hof breathing? It can be Wim Hof breathing. So it can be. And what do our bodies need? If there was an answer to that question, we probably wouldn't be doing the podcast because we'd all just be living in bliss. So there isn't, there isn't an answer to that question. What our bodies need for me is um, safety, security. They need our needs to be met. Uh, they need to feel worthy. 
Uh, they need a level of nutrients that keeps the tissue health high. They need exercise. They need to be moved. They need sunlight. They need water, clean water, and they need uh, a fresh air. They need time in nature. That's what they need uh, as a physical form. When, I, when I've boiled it down after all my years in the health industry, it's like, okay, I need time in nature. Uh, I need sunlight, access to a good light, light spectrum, and I need clean water. And then nutrient-dense foods, so not macros or calories or this or that. It's like nutrient-dense food, which really fuel me. And I left that world in a lot of ways. I, I got really bored in that world. I got bored with this obsession with the physical body and making it healthy, and I and – I, um, I find no actual solace there. It's just constantly seeking and chasing some outside sense of happiness or high based off what I eat or how I eat or the, the dogmatic diet that I'm following. And pretty much every dogmatic diet, be it vegan, paleo, meatitarian, pescatarian, vegetarian, they all get fantastic health results for anyone who takes on that diet. So it's got nothing to do really with the foods. They all get fantastic health results. There's, there's plenty of science to support everything out there. And so I left that world behind. And then my particular interest with Wim Hof is Wim Hof has done a fantastic thing in bringing, breathe, making breathing cool. Because breathing, uh, we do it up to 30,000 times a day. So it has a huge effect on the body. Uh, it's completely linked with facial development and the, the structure and the physical structure of a system and of a being. And there's incredible people doing amazing work out there. Cole Clayton, he's a dear friend of mine and doing amazing work. Uh, so breathing's like heavily interrelated with everything. We can regulate the mind with our breathing. We can change the nervous system. We can work through emotions. And so, yes, Wim Hof brought, you know, this practice, breathing practice to the world and he made breathing cool. Do I think it's effective? Sometimes. Is it useful for everyone? No. And when I look at it, I'm looking at it through a yogic lens. So my, my studies in Tatantra with my teacher, Mark Bredner, and I'm looking through this lens and what he's doing is a type of practice, which is an invigorating practice. And it's pumping. We see air as prana, as life force. Life begins when I take my first, bre first breath and it ends when I take my last. So it's life force. It's the juice. There's much smarter ways to build energy in the body. There's much safer ways. There's much more useful ways to build energy in the body, depending on what that individual is showing up in front of me. So if that individual shows up and they're hyper-stressed, I'm not going to dump more energy. I'm going to calm them down. I'm going to bring them system down and I'm going to help them start to hold the energy that they already have in them. Yoga is a game of how like, how high vibration can I make this, bo this body and how can I hold it? So there's no point just, it's like a wonky cup. If I just fill it with water, what's going to happen to the cup? I'm going to tip over. It's the same with, with breath work. Like if I just, it's going to start spilling and eventually it'll tip. So we need to make the cup straight. We need to get the foundation strong. We need to get a solid base before we start doing any extreme breath work uh, or any extreme anything. And it's just become another answer. People are addicted to Wim Hof breathing. They're addicted to ayahuasca. They're addicted to plant medicine. They're addicted to a diet. They're addicted to running marathons. People are now addicted to Wim Hof breathing. And I'm saying, yes, and. Like, okay, so what is this helping you feel and why can't you feel that without the breathing? Why do you think that people are addicted to those things? It takes us closer to God. Without the you know, Catholic or Christian or connotations of God, it's, it's a connection to God. It takes us closer to God. And we could look at that through when we do hyperventilation, which is what Wim Hof breathing is, which is over-breathing. We breathe too much. It drives our uh, blood alkalinity up, so the pH of our blood, like the acid alkaline, it drives it up. Too much of that and a human dies. So you could say we're having a near-death experience. 
the body is having a physiological near-death experience. It's moving closer to death. So we're having a near-death experience, which is always linked with people having experiences of God. When we look at plant medicine, DMT, uh, shamanic breathwork, crazy experiences of people crossing over and they have a near-death experience and they meet God or they have a God-like experience, they've touched source, they've touched the soul, like they've touched the divine spark. They've had an experience where they're like, whoa, that is source creation. And these tools, in my opinion, are to help us remember that we always have access to that, that that's in us 24-7 and that's Tantra, it's right here. And it's remembering that it's in this moment and it's not in some breath work, it's not in some medicine, it's not in some experience, it's right here. This is the divine moment. So is one better than the other or is it more about working on one before you go to the next? Like is it working on, as you were saying, working on yourself through yoga to make sure that you are in the right receptacle to receive the breathwork and then doing breathwork? From a yogic perspective, there's a sequence where we would uh, you know, open up the physical body. That's the stretching part of it. We'd open the physical body, the asana, what most people consider yoga. If we look at it just through the yogic lens, we'd open up the physical body. And then we would balance the nervous system with some specific breathwork. So we'd make sure the nervous system is balanced. Both airways, both nostrils are equally open. And then we do something like Wim Hof, variations of it, but use Wim Hof, for example. We do a hyperventilation drive prana into this open and balanced being. And then we would sit in meditation. And whatever that extra energy, that extra life force stirs up, the emotions, the memories, the distractions of the mind, we sit in meditation, they come up, we don't attach to them, and they go away. Because those distractions, what they are is they're limitations to me being in my full power. They're the obstacles I need to overcome for me to be my most me, me of all me time. And that's the idea of meditation is to sit there with awareness and receptivity and non-attachment and just keep practicing. And at some point, you know, all of these little attachments, all of these isms I have in me, all of the little limitations of Ryan stop getting emotional uh, feedback. I stop feeding them with attention, which is just energy and emotion. And then they stop coming up to be noticed and then I can set them aside and start to live beyond my mind and for me live in my heart, live in this place of doing, feeling what is right for me instead of doing what I think is good. Right. So is the, the breath work then, is that pulling us more into a place of thinking and less into a place of feeling? No, for most people, it, it kind of stimulates the system so much that the mind like bugs out and they go into this beautiful place of bliss. Yeah. And I'm saying at what cost? And maybe those, those little all those mind-isms, maybe that stuff needs to be faced, that needs to be felt. Kind of got to name it to tame it, you got to feel it to heal it, and then cultivate energy in the direction I want to go. So I need to be aware of all my shit. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I got excited there. I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting it. So because what I think I'm grasping here is that you're talking about that it's kind of like when we think about being a tree and trying to like work on the branches and then not work on the roots. It's like, oh, well, we'll work on something externally. So what you're saying, which I'm understanding is that you're saying we need to work on the roots of the tree. We need to work on the internal core before we just try and like band-aid the, br- the, the branches on the outside. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's like walking along a pebbly beach and picking up every rock. Like this is the one my teacher uses. It's like this rock, oh, this is something that's wrong with me. Oh, or this rock, oh, this is the answer for it. Oh, okay, these rocks. And then at a certain point, uh, I've, I've got to this place where it's like, oh, what's beyond the rocks? That's, that's where I need to be putting my time and attention. 
saying like, you know, the branches of the tree, there's the answers, there's the shiny object syndrome, there's the next fad, there's all the stuff that's wrong with me that now I'm attached with and, and I'm Ryan and I have, a, I have a broken heart because X, Y, and Z or I'm Ryan and I struggle with safety because my parents got divorced. All of these stories, like have you heard that saying, everything after I am is, is a story? So I am is the only truth. and mm, It's nice. Everything after I am is story. And if I'm identifying with something, then I can't truly be me because anything I can identify with can't be me. If I can be aware of it, well, then it can't be me because it's separate. So what am I? And if I keep stepping back, I keep stepping into that central channel of that and then drop down into the trunk of that tree. Oh, okay. There's, there's some, oh, wow. There's some foundations here that need some work. Wow. I need to scrub this one and I need to get the barnacles off this bit. And that work isn't photo worthy. That work doesn't go well on Instagram. Uh, it's hard to communicate. It's not glamorous. And it's happening moment to moment, not in these settings. Like for me, that work is happening right now. And I can't even really explain to you what's going on, but I'm aware of it inside of me. And it's not when I step into the medicine ceremony or when I do this and that. It's actually like moment to moment awareness. And that's mindfulness is constantly tending and weeding this garden and catching like, huh, you know, as we speak, me going, Oh, that didn't feel right. Okay, make note of that. That that was out of alignment. That's not really me. Huh. And like this constant awareness and coming into, okay, what feels right? It sounds like the work that you're doing within yourself is exactly the work that you're helping men with as well, because it's coming to a point of, and I'm, and I'm just grasping all this. So thank you for letting me kind of piece it together as you're helping me understand it. Because I've never spoken to someone who's working with men. So I'm learning through this moment. And it sounds like what you're doing so much through your own work and what you're doing with men is helping them to get just to the core, to not have all the things that they're doing, to have things, to have toys, to be, you know, an elite athlete, to be partying, to have lots of women around them. It's just like, Let's get to the very core and understand what's happening inside and allowing you to be able to express the fullest version of you. Totally. And, and the fullest version for one man might be having lots of women. The fullest version for one man might be being uh, an, an athlete, an elite athlete. The fullest version for one man might be being a CEO of top Fortune 500. It's, it's not the content, it's the, it's the core. So yeah, what you say is like, mm -hmm, bang on, that's, that's what I'm passionate about. And I'm deeply in this journey. That's one of the nice bits of feedback that uh, we just I just wrapped up the first self-initiation academy. So finally, I've worked one-on-one -on -one with people for a long time and now I'm doing it in group settings because it's, it's more powerful in group. And uh, that was one of the feedbacks. I was like, wow, thank you for being here and, and showing a path through it. So being in it and also leading from within it because I'm not different. I'm not special. I'm not realized I'm not enlightened. I'm just me and I want to be and I'm like deathly human. And I can be of service and be deathly human. You know, I can be these things. And sometimes I can't hold it and thankfully other guys there can. And you know, that's, that's a part of it. I don't, and because otherwise I'd be selling an answer, I'd be selling a solution. And all I'm offering is a framework that's worked for me and some good questions and some good feedback and some good lines of thought and feeling that have been passed on to me from my teachers. Now, I want to go back because you've said something a few times that I find really interesting that pulls into going back to those like first two videos that we were talking about, the two videos that did well for you. And you said, you talked a lot about energy and you spoke quite a lot about that. And what I want to talk about is that second video, which was about men ejaculating quickly. And I wanted to add something first because 
it's so interesting. The day that I watched it, something happened that helped me put it into context. And I want to also mention it to normalize this information and understand how it's about life and who we are, not just sex. So in your video, you spoke about energy and how we deal with the buildup of it in the body. And after watching that video, my little nephew was eating breakfast and he got up just randomly and spun in a circle. And I said to him, I'm just curious, like what went through your head that you got up and just started spinning and literally without missing a beat or looking up, he just said, too much energy. And that was the same day that I watched your video and I was like, wow. So dealing with the buildup of energy is something that we're always dealing with if we're, you know, a kid or an adult. And I just found that really fascinating to see such different ends of the perspective around energy in the body. So I'd love to know, why do you think that so many people watched that video? Well, I didn't know so many people had watched that video. Uh, however, I think people watched that video, one, because I, I, I guess men's, this is something that men struggle struggle with. Uh, there's a lot of pressure. I've felt a lot of pressure over the years to be like this, you know, sex Olympian, which I'm definitely not, you know, or this performance god and have it under wraps and be able to please a woman and, and my worth being in, so inextricably tied with my ability to please a woman and make her come and all of these kind of false beliefs. And again, that being the content, you know, they're the branches of the tree. So I think it's a topic that a lot of men would be dealing with. And then on top of that, you know, I'm touching that, that surface level symptom topic is touching to something much deeper, which is this ability to be with ourselves and this, this internal language and internal dialogue. And I don't think many people are really willing to talk about it or willing to say like, Hey, sometimes I suck in bed and, and I'm actually interested in why. And cause I, I do, I like to be able to, for lack of a better word, perform or to meet my partner in sexual union and, and, to come together or for her to come and for us to keep having sex. I don't, you know, that's a preference I have. And I really, really love being intimate. I love, like, I love bodies and I love all of the intricacies of being intimate. And I think it's a beautiful part of being human. So I think that I'm touching on things that are true for people that don't really get talked about, that kind of shied away from. And yeah, there's, I guess there's a, a willingness like, hey, that's kind of interesting. Like, yeah, why do guys, instead of like taking a pill or, you know, um, desensitizing our dicks so we can last longer. So maybe we could go beyond all of these, again, physical things. And at the core of it is this energy, this life force that's emanating through this bookshelf, this computer, me, you, and it, it vibrates and creates different shapes and forms. And maybe if we learn to work with that and the symptoms of it might be sensation and a physical symptom might be an increase in, in heart rate and increase in breath. There's more, there's more life force moving through the system. And then like small blood pumping, whatever it is. But I think there's a, I think people are really becoming aware like, yeah, we know there's something more than just this, this symptom. As women, we don't really understand our sexuality and we don't, we definitely don't talk about it. We don't ever get told that 80% of women can't orgasm through penetration and that women can go their entire lives thinking that something is wrong with them. So thinking about that video and about what people are thinking as well and men, what is something men don't know or understand about their sexuality? Something that, you know, if they learned it in their early years and maybe even now would make a huge difference. So there's a whole yogic, you know, Tantra has been a lot of the time sold as sex. There's, there's a yogic story around that in the way that energy moves in the body, life force energy. And, and at the moment of ejaculation, 
the restrictions on life force energy are released and our full expression can come through. And I think this is why people have that, ex- and it's a, it's a God experience. And it makes sense, right? Because that's when we create life. Uh, and so that's where it's kind of, and everyone's like, just kind of like, oh my God, this is the answer and clung onto this. And I am a tantric sex coach. And, and, and it's like, well, yes. And again, that, that's a small piece of a big story. It's like, uh, as I said in that my recent one, it's like getting mashed potato and calling it shepherd's pie. Very different things. What guys don't know, what I wish I'd been taught as a young fella is one, like how to self-love. And self-love in its physical form is masturbation. So can I do that with no one else, with no screen, with no imagination, just me and my body, maybe a mirror? Is that a possibility? Because I feel like that would be really cool if I could get to a place where I feel love deep in my bones when I'm just being with myself like that. And that it's not about ejaculating. It's not about the release, but can I ride that edge? And when I mean ride that edge, what that is, is can I tolerate this sensation? As I move, as I'm masturbating, as I move towards ejaculation, sensation is increasing in the body. My heart rate is going up. My breath is increasing. Wow, I have the ability to regulate these things and ride this sensation. So can I do that? And what happens when I ride that sensation is I start to feel. And what I meant majority of the time petrified of feeling. Because when I feel, things start to come up. Because if I want to feel joy, I have to feel the things that are blocking me from feeling joy. So I've got to feel it to heal it. So there's a conundrum there. I want to feel this way and there's these blocks or obstacles in the way, maybe stories I picked up from someone else along the way. And if I want to feel down here, I have to penetrate through all of this feeling along the way. It's like, well, that's that's a trade-off. I could just come right now and then it's over and I feel great. Or I could pierce through all of this feeling. And I think this is really a lot of the tantra and sex, sex coaching work. This is what they're doing. So it is fantastic work in a lot of ways. I think it's just being miscommunicated and it's not the answer. It's just a tool, another tool that we can use to move further into feeling the deep layers of me being me at my most animal, sensitive, soft, core self. Does that make sense? Yeah, you did a great job of expressing that. And I've never thought of that, that when you open to the sensations and the energy, whatever that is, that's, you know, if you're self-pleasuring or if you're ejaculating or if you're in a pleasure moment, that as soon as you're kind of opening and you have connection to those feelings, that there's a fear. Like, it sounds like there's almost like it's a lot of emotion happening in that moment because it's it's a bit scary because all those feelings do come up, but there's also pleasure at the same time. It sounds like there's a lot going on. Yeah, my, my uh, dear friend and, and teacher, a lady named Gina, she says, you know, when, whenever we do any of this work, when we ring the bell of our soul, and that can be through basically like going for a walk with complete awareness through nature could be ringing that bell. You know, making a meal with complete awareness and receptivity could be ringing that bell. But as I ring that bell, as my soul starts to vibrate and chime, that vibration moves out from my center through all the levels of me being me and all the areas that aren't vibrating at that soul level get shaken off and they come out. And I have to, it's like, whoa, where's this grief come from? Wow, okay, I'm overcome with grief. Can I be with that? A lot of the time, uh, men come to me and say, so, yeah, but that comes up when I'm, when I'm at work. Like, how do I deal with that? It's like, how, how sad that someone can't be like, whoa, huh, like I've just got a lot of grief moving through me. Um, and someone will be like, oh, man, what do you need? You know, what about if we could just allow people to have emotions and allow that to be a part of the normal functioning of being a human? Because apparently we all have them. So instead of trying to stifle them and, and confine them and put them into boxes, this as we start to like bang on that door to, of, of the soul to shine through, everything is going to get blasted out of the way. 
Is there a particular age where men come to you for this work? Because it sounds like to get to a place where you are questioning and, and wanting to express those emotions, there's an awareness. Is, are you finding that people come from all ages or is it a particular age group? Not all ages. Youngest, uh, youngest in, this one co- in this recent course, youngest was 20 and the oldest was 56. So yeah, all ages. I, I, I can appreciate that as people get older and they're more intertwined and their story has been weaved further and further that they would be more inclined to turn a blind eye to any of this. I'm like, I get that. Because if I was to, you know, say if I went the normal route and did what everyone told me to do and do what I thought was good for the next 20 years and ended up with three kids and a wife in a marriage and I'm potentially not fully expressing myself and happy and not parenting in a way that I don't really like how I'm parenting, but I don't have the time or energy because I'm exhausted from trying to earn this money to pay the bills. And this cycle, that seems quite common. If someone came along and said, have a look at this, I would then have to feel or like when I start, when, when people come into feeling, they then feel all of the stuff they haven't felt or they've been avoiding feeling. It's like, fuck, I, like right now I'm going through this. It's like, whoa, like now I wish, this is why I wish I'd known about discernment because I wouldn't have done half that shit because holy shit, it feels horrible that being in, like that in me. I'm like, ah, like, ah, Jesus. Like no one told me that feeling that I actually had to feel. Fuck. I get why people, you know, when I just put the blinkers on and just stay in the lane. Sorry, just a little speechless. I, I just, there's so much to this that's so new for me to, to know. I think, you know, being a woman where you can pick up the phone and call your friend and, and cry. And I know for me, I've been through a big grief with losing my mom and publicly crying or sitting on a park bench or even just the other day, I just had a really shitty day and I sat on a bench and just cried because I needed to. And I forget how lucky I am to be able to do that, to have that release is, um, I forget that that's not available to everybody. It's sad that we need to be given permission. Yeah. But at least we're learning it, right? Like, I think that that's, it's amazing that you're doing these groups and that men are, because I feel like right now I'm seeing more and more men's groups and more people who are willing to go and sit in ceremony with other men and be vulnerable enough to cry in front of other men. And that must be the most, I would imagine, the most cathartic experience to sit amongst a group of other men and to cry in front of them. And that's an assumption. I don't know if that's what's happening. I I don't know. But if that is, or just to have any feeling, if it's angry, sad, quiet, their fullest expression, as you said, there must be an incredible experience for them. Yeah, I think just to show up exactly as they are, it's incredibly powerful and it is happening. You're right in the assumption. I mean, we're seeing it all over social media of men holding other men while they cry and men screaming fuck and pushing against the other guys. And so yes, and that's fantastic. Men expressing and emoting, yes. And cool energy, bro. What would you like to do with that? Like, or do you just want to repeat the, do you want to express this energy, not change anything, do the same patterns, the same story, and then maybe in a year's time, come back to the same event, express the same emotion, do nothing, change nothing, take no ownership or sovereignty of this, go around that merry-go-round again, get back to this same point. So that primal roar, that is a doorway into the work. That is a tool and it's a doorway into the work that isn't seen, that isn't Instagram worthy, that isn't glitzy and glamorous. It's that, that, that's content and it's a stepping stone to, to where we really need to be putting our focus and attention and our, and our admiration and reverence. 
And obviously that's the work then that you do with them to be able to start to dig more into that because I totally understand it. It's not like you have an emotion and then that emotion heals everything is it allows you to see what you're capable of. And then to, as you said, it opens the door to actually making a shift and actually making changes. And that's the work that you're doing with people. You're helping them with that. That's where I focus. Yes. So guys, you know, we have these beautiful experiences. One guy sharing is like, fellas, I just had a cold shower and I just burst into tears and it was beautiful. And being able to share that with men, that's, that's so important. And that's so special guys turning up and going, actually, you know, right now I'm just trying to decide whether I want to top myself or not. It's like, cool. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for your honesty. Guys turning up in full joy, in full anger, in full grief. Awesome. And yes. And like, is that, would would you, you know, and they're invited. There's no there's no expectation that they move from it. There's no pressure for them to move from it. It's just a, hey, um, you know, if you'd like to, do you want to dig into that or would you like some feedback? The way I do it is, so I'll use the example of a sharing circle in the, in the framework that I provide is men speak to silence because most of the time people respond to get rid of their own discomfort. So someone says something and it's triggering on a level and the person listening doesn't want to deal with the trigger. So they go, oh yeah, but you could just like sell your car and then you'll have the money, you know? It's like, ah, okay. So we sell it to, we do it to silence. One, because it's uncomfortable. People can't look for confirmation from the person who's listening. Two, if someone's thinking about what they're going to say, are they really listening? And then three, to silence, once someone's finished their share, they then have the opportunity to, I'm going to use this word, to man up and ask for their needs, which is something men, in my experience, suck at. Absolutely suck at asking for our needs. We were just like, we're like whipping boy, just yeah, yes, yes, load on more. I'll do it. Yes, for sure. People pleasing, being the good boy, doing what we need to do, doing everything for everyone and doing nothing for ourselves. Uh, that is a solid trait of, of men. And is that something that you see come up a lot with the men that you're spending time with? Oh, asking men to carve out some time for themselves and to go and do, we're like, what do you like to do with yourself? never thought about it. It's like, how often do you just go and spend some time on yourself? I can't do that. I've got to look after everyone else. It's like, okay, well, you mean you seem to be kind of getting the shits with everyone else. Do you think it'd be useful if you spent some time with yourself? Yeah. (laughs) It's this, these stories of having to be the white knight, having to be the savior and the everything for everyone and no one for themselves. Just, I keep having moments where I'm, I'm so blown away because there's so much of this that I just didn't know. I had no idea that that is something that men, that they don't do. I didn't realize that asking for help is something that they don't do. Yeah. And I think an easier lens to see it through is by looking at the symptoms of this and the way that I work. This is initiation. So men aren't initiated into the deeper levels of being themselves. And the symptoms of not asking for help and not being willing to ask for my needs to be met is addiction to porn, addiction to drugs, womanizing, alcohol, violence, being abusive. These are all symptoms of something much, much deeper. You know, these are, these are stories of not feeling enough and trying to fill up from the outside world. So if I just do this for everyone, then I'll finally feel good about myself. If I can just sleep with X amount of women per week, you know, that means I'm, I'm a worthy man. That makes me a man. So is there a way that we can be affecting men early on so that we don't have to wait until they're 26, 27 years old and, and in a place where they're you know, hurting on the inside. Is, is there a way to affect change early on in this way with men? Yes. Uh, do I know it? Not, not completely. You know, I get as many men as possible doing as much work as possible in community. 
I think there's some collective myths that are playing out, the balancing out of, of the masculine and the feminine. And there's, there's, a, there's a learning there for women and there's a learning there for men. So I think it, it's written as much as it is, you know, it's a part of the process. The way this is unfolding is, is utterly divine. And can we handle it and navigate it with a little more love and care for each other? Beautiful answer. Thank you. And that was, that's a big question. It's not a light one. It's, you know, just casually asking you, how do we fix all, all of the men in society? The solid answer is we fix ourselves. And then, you know, your, your light reflects into someone and that shines a bit of them, like hits on a bit of darkness in them. And we make it a socially cool to do personal development work and scrub our souls so we can shine for one another, even if we don't know the person. And we make that, we make that a trend. We make, you know, deep soul work, deep, Meism, the next Wim Hof, the next McDonald's of personal development work. <laughs> That's how. I love that. I love that. That's perfect. <laughs> Ryan, clearly you do things differently. And this actually also applies to the business that you do as well. And you, you know, you don't have a website. Your business model is more about intuition and, you know, where you merge what feels right with when you actually offer a service like your, your self-initiation academy for men. So I'd love to ask, what is your definition of prosperity? Can you define the word prosperity for me? <laughs> no, and I, I'm just curious because I'm looking at, you know, you've got this very intuitive business model. It's not the norm. And what drives a lot of people within business is wealth, money, making money. But you're coming at it from this very intuitive perspective. And I'm wondering if you have a different definition of prosperity, actually full stop. My definition of prosperity would be feeling completely electrically alive, fully in power and and completely comfortable seated in myself in every moment. So that would be my prosperity, being completely, the, the feeling the full depth of being me every waking moment and sleeping moment of every day. That would be my definition of prosperity. And then all of the, the, the things people pursue, my experience of that, my experience of pursuing worldly possessions and worldly wealth is that uh, what I call that the commission. I break it down into three, three phases. I have a map for this because I like maps. And I have my mission, I have my vision, and I have my commission. And when I figure out what my mission is here, when I figure out my why, like why I'm on this earth, what I'm here to bring, what I'm here to be of service to and deliver, I look at all the wounding I've been through and I look at all the wisdom that's come from that. I look at all of the trends and traits. I look at my attributes. I look at the things I'm great at, the areas that keep recurring. I, found, I figure out my why, my mission. Then I come to my vision. It's like, how do I want to live that? How do I want to live this mission? How do I want to walk that in the world for myself firstly and then with other people? So my flow factors for myself and then my ministry. How do I want to, what do I want to be? If, like what medicine will I want to serve to the world? And then my offering, my legacy, like how do I want that to, to leave when this flesh body falls back to the ground? And from there, if I'm aligned in those two, my mission is fully aligned with my vision and I'm living that, the commission naturally happens. Abundance seems to be everywhere around me. As soon as I took that leap of faith off the edge and just like, no, this is what I'm doing because honestly, when I go to these other jobs, I feel like I'm choking. When I just work completely in alignment with what feels right, Suddenly, there's like financial abundance in my bank account like I've never had before. There's all of these opportunities. There's all of these ways. So it's just, it's the content. Again, it's the branches of the tree. And I'm saying those branches will be much fuller with leaves and fruit if I tend to the core and I tend to the root. That's beautiful. Thank you. It's a lovely definition. Now, you've been through and faced some monumental and 
external obstacles. And for those that are listening to your story, men and women, do you have any words of wisdom for those facing their own struggles and obstacles? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, Congratulations. You're finally at the spot where you're meant to be. Welcome to the party. The dark forest is one of the best and most unacknowledged places that we all need to learn to sit in and learn to be in and learn to acknowledge each other in that dark forest. It's a crucial part of the evolving journey of the evolution of being me. Shedding these layers, it's not comfortable. The mind is only comfortable and only feels safe with what it knows. And if I want to be bigger than what I am right now, I need to step into the unknown. So that inherently, inherently must include feeling scared, feeling unsafe. And when I step into that bigger bubble, it's like, fuck, where are the walls? What are my needs? Beautiful. That's how I start to meet my own needs. And from there, I have self-worth because I'm actually meeting my own needs to help myself feel safe instead of the next car, the next job, the next woman, the next paycheck, whatever it is. So if we could culturally make it normal for people to not be fantastic all the time, it's like, fuck yeah, welcome to the party. Like now you're doing the work, we're in here. Like, yes, revel in it, whatever it looks like. If it's rolling in dirt, yes, but don't avoid the dark forest. Don't shy away from it. Reach out if you need help for sure. But understand that it is so well documented and is so much a part of this journey that, yay, like, yes. And we live in it, and I can provide so many reasons for it to be, you know, over. It's like we live in a dual existence. So if it started, don't worry, that means it's going to have an end. So enjoy it while it lasts because this too shall pass. So all of these little nuances, but if I give any advice, it would be that. It's like, hey, awesome, fantastic, well done. Thank you. That's such a nice way to be able to face challenges. That's beautiful. So you've actually just said that you're finishing up um, a program. So tell us what exciting projects you're working on or things that you want people to know about. So I'll be taking 15 men uh, through into the Self-Initiation Academy next, uh, at the start of next year, February. That's a 12-week journey, uh, deep dive into daily initiation, living it day to day with a group of men. The fellas have just finished, like, oh, blown me away. And next year I'll be offering, it's cool, actually, I'm sitting in a space, if I'm like, completely honest, that's the only thing I'm certain that I will offer is the Self-Initiation Academy. And I'll offer an alpine expedition. So I run initiation events, so we'll offer an alpine expedition. That's where we go into the snow and we, we meet our maker. We find out, you know, our minerals, who we really are as men. I'll be offering with my, with my dear brother, Stu, we'll be offering Vision Quest, which is a four-day and four-night solo, solo wilderness experience. And I'll be introducing people to my teachers and I'll be creating environments for people to sit with my teachers. Beautiful. Thank you. And as we get to the end, I just want to sneak in five quick questions. So you ready if we hit a little speed round? Fast and Furious, number one, moment you first felt like an adult. Every time I walk to the shop and buy myself chocolate, every time, every time I walk to the shop and buy myself chocolate, I'm like, fuck, like, this is the best thing like, about being an adult, holy shit, like I get to do this whenever I want. Um, number two, the sexiest movie of all time. Oh, snatch. That Guy Ritchie film, I don't know why, but that's, don't think it has like beautiful women in it, but I'm just like, just the characters, they're like, it's just fucking sexy. Like the plot, the characters, the accents, the fucking grit. I'm like, the cutting, the cinematography. I clearly know the next movie I'm going to be watching. Um, number three, what's your guilty pleasure? Do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh, guilty pleasure? Psychological warfare, for sure. Psychological and social, like, manipulation and warfare. Like, I love fucking with shit in social dynamics. So if I go into a pub dressing in ways 
in a culture where it's not okay for me to dress how I'm dressing. I love dressing in a way that I know will be like, the fuck? But I also know I'm like quite big, so not many people are going to say anything. So I, I enjoy that kind of gameplay. I've actually been with you in that moment. I believe it was a Ninja's Turtle, a Ninja Turtles t-shirt that you're wearing. Yeah, man, that one's worn out. So now like just my Justin Bieber singlet, that's a favorite of mine. If you could go back to 13-year-old Ryan, what are three things that you would tell him? Number one, masturbation is not dirty, it's not shameful, it's not sinful. Look up how to do it properly and fucking enjoy it and do it with yourself. Learn how to make love to yourself and be with yourself and be satisfied with yourself from, from physically in that way from, from a young age. Number two, it's not my job to balance the environment and to balance everyone else's energy. It's not my job to please people. I have no obligation to be everything for everyone else and nothing for myself. All I have to do is be me and be me in that, in that moment and trust that that is okay. And number three, do what feels right. Do what feels deeply right in you, not what you think is a good idea or someone else tells you is a fantastic idea. Do what is deeply right and what feels deeply right in you. And last one, is there anything that you would do differently in your life? Have more threesomes. (laughs) Uh, No, maybe, you know, it ties in with the question before it would be, doing what feels deeply right so maybe pursuing that uh, that wild that you know what felt like a, a wild and scary path pursuing that from a much much earlier younger age and I don't want I don't want to live a rational normal life so I would have you know stop applying a rational mindset to it be irrational be wild and live live on that edge live live where I fear to live that's fire to end on. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story and for really providing some incredible insights into the shifts that are happening in the men's movement and in men, but also just for you being so open and approachable about topics that aren't always the easiest to talk about, but they're really vital to learn and to learn how to communicate about. So Ryan, you have always been and still are one of the most generous, wonderful humans. And I love knowing that you're out in the world supporting these conversations and helping men rise up to their fullest potential and lovingly. So thank you so much for sharing. I'm going to shower you in some love. Thank you. Thank you for everything you bring in your beingness and your ability to connect and meet people where they are. I feel always feel accepted and, and deeply loved when I'm in your presence. So it's really, I really love what you bring. Thank you. And you just fucking rock yourself. So yes. If you want to find out more about Ryan, you can visit the podcast page on secretloverdreamer.com or you can check out the episode notes and you can find Ryan. You can follow Ryan on Instagram and you can find out more about his programs. So until then, thank you so much and love you, friend. I just really appreciate this. Thank you. Love you too. Thank you. That's Ryan Barraclough, leading mind in modern masculinity and founder of the Self-Initiation Academy for Men. Thanks so much for listening to the show and for joining me in exploring the upside of the unexpected to see that life isn't a straight line. And thank goodness, because that is where the magic in life lies. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, and you can find all the links and resources from this episode in the episode notes. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to head over to iTunes to rate and leave a review. Or if there's someone you think would benefit by hearing this episode, be sure to share it with them. If you have any feedback or want to send me a note, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Send me a DM on Instagram at didn't see that coming underscore underscore. I'm Zoe Weldon and you've been listening to Didn't See That Coming. Until next week, 
Keep looking for the magic on the other side of the unexpected. Let's do like a peace thing and wave. Ready? I'm going to take a photo. Like this? Oh, you do whatever you want. I'm going to be like, it's not working. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to take a photo. Then you'll be able to see like how like scratchy the screen is. It's just like. Oh, really? (laughs) You have your eyes closed. (laughs) I think I got a good one.